This is Senator Malcolm Roberts on Our Nation Today. In the words of former US Vice President Hubert Humphrey in the 1970s, the moral test of government is how that government treats those who are in the dawn of their life, the children, those who are in the twilight of life, the elderly. Governments and governance in this country during COVID have failed this moral test and mental health in this country, especially for our children, is crashing. Listen to some of these statistics. More In Victoria, more than 340 teenagers suffering mental health emergencies admitted weekly to hospitals. That's a 162% increase. Every week, 156 teenagers rush to hospital for attempting suicide or self-harm. Every week, 37 of them needing emergency treatment or surgery. That's an 88% increase. There's been a 90% increase in children with eating disorders. In New South Wales, daily, more than 40 children and teenagers rush to hospital for self-harm. That's up 31%. Acute mental health admissions for children and young people up 43%. In Queensland, at the Gold Coast Hospital, a 212% spike in eating disorders from 2019 to 2020. Queensland's Butterfly Foundation says calls for help increased 34% for eating disorders from January 2020 to January 2021. 85% were first-time callers for the helpline. In August, Lifeline Suicide Prevention had its busiest days in its 57-year history. We all know that humans are gregarious in nature and our primal need to socialise sustains our very breath. Therefore, the consequences of persistent and externally imposed social isolation tears at the fabric of what makes us human, physically well and literally sane. The nation's plan for reopening is increasingly looking shaky, with some premiers deciding to go their own way. After 18 months, we still do not have the certainty we need. Business doesn't have the certainty it needs. All of our children are not yet at school, or some aren't even allowed to play in the playgrounds. Today I'm joined by health and fitness expert Matt Fox, who lives on the Sunshine Coast and has a fitness business and other businesses on the Sunshine Coast. Matt, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Hey, Malcolm. Thanks for having me. Um, Great to speak to you. Yeah, that's right. Uh, My name is Matt Fox. I am a husband and father of a four-year-old boy here on the Sunshine Coast. I'm a small business owner where I operate an outdoor fitness business, so boot camps that are run daily, Um, and I'm also doing online coaching where I help people all over the world for, yeah, health and fitness, Um, specializing in gym-free workouts, I guess, so not relying on workouts, workouts that you can do at home or, or anywhere you please. Okay, that reminds me of traveling around the United States and way many years ago I had to just exercise wherever I was, you know, so that's <laughs> and I'm envious because you're actually making money out of helping people to get fit and you're keeping fit in the process. Yeah, it's uh, it's good. It's a great reward. Um, you know, I, I don't think about the money side of things, but yeah, helping people completely change their lives for the better, especially, you know, the past 18 months when I've had to deal with some clients that were at an extremely low point and to be able to turn their lives around and, and then see that on-flow effect, how, how they have 
help their families and even turned into um, personal trainers themselves uh, is, is the reward that I love. And thinking is clearer and memory is better when we are fit and healthy. Correct. Every, I mean, yeah, more energy, um, the, the mental health aspect of, of what exercise does to your body as well with the, the dopamine and the, the rush to your mood enhancement. Um, so it's, just, it's really got such a positive, positive effect on, on the mind and the body. And, and it builds resilience too. So when we, everyone's life has setbacks at times. So whether they be physical, medical, whether they be mental or emotional, uh, it builds resilience for that too, doesn't it? Exactly right. Yeah, myself, I um, went through cancer at 21, 22, uh, operation, chemotherapy um, and exercise probably saved my life in terms of giving me the drive and the and the goal to to overcome everything and and keep pushing and better better myself I guess well Matt you have a number of small businesses in Noosa can yep. you tell us about them please yeah the outdoor boot camp business um, which is in Noosa uh, attempted to start one up about 20 me- 20 minutes south down in Coolum Um a few months ago, but it was just getting a bit too hard with the, the lockdowns and the restrictions that were coming and going, um, especially as you go to start a business. Uh, so we've had to stop that and, and put that on hold for, for now and hopefully look at you know expanding it again sometime when there's a bit more stability. Well, that's pretty important because just about every business except maybe entertainment you need the certainty. And even in entertainment, you need the certainty of being able to get something in the entertainment sector at a time you want that suits you. So if you can't plan ahead, you can't really be an effective customer. Uh, you don't know when you're going to be a customer, and that means it's very hard for the pe- people providing the service, right? Well, exactly, yeah. It's been, you know, it's it's an effect as a small business. A, a lot of my friends here in Noosa, Noosa's you know, built around small business pretty much with the tourism and the hospitality industry. They're all owners as well. And when when people are getting laid off or losing their jobs because of what's been happening the past eighteen months, you know they've got to cut back on um, all other expenses, and that involves training as well. So if I get hurt uh, via the lockdowns, which obviously put a hold on our outdoor training business, um, and then I get hurt because yeah, members and, and potential clients can't afford to. To join, um, and that's the same with every every business, not just mine. You know, the hospitality, the tourist people can't can't do touristy activities, can't spend money on a, a dinner out, and it's just it, it's a bit of a tragic uh, on flow effect that it's got in in a place like Noosa and the Sunshine Coast as a whole, which is is really dependent on tourism and, and people getting out and about. Yeah, I, I came back from Canberra a few weeks ago, and. Um Melbourne had gone into a lockdown that, that afternoon. I arrived back about 9 o'clock or whatever it was, and, uh, and, and the lockdown in Melbourne started at 5. And the cabbies just said everything was dead. I said, yeah. hang on, hang on, lockdown's in Melbourne, not Brisbane. They said, yeah, but there's a surprising amount of traffic on Fridays, weekends, coffee shops, hotels, taxis, all taking a hit. And then they don't spend money, and so other businesses are taking a hit. It's just, it's just a flow on because every economy is a massive – um, network of interconnections, isn't it? Correct. Yeah, they're all intertwined. Uh, I mean, Queensland, our main 
tourism is the main business for Queensland as far as I'm aware and, and with the southern states of Victoria and New South Wales unable to leave their state, you know, I, I've got friends who I said who own tourist-related businesses here and they're doing it a lot harder than I am. Uh, I've got the ability for what I was doing the past four or five years that I don't use a gym. So I've been able to transition some of that um, online, which I have been doing since 2016. Um, but some of these some of these friends of mine up here who run physical businesses, you know, tours and things like that, uh, have had to shut down or, you know, have had to try and remortgage their house to, to keep paying their business bills purely because Victorians and New South Wales, they make up such a high percentage of, of the Queensland industry so you've you've um, been able to cope or at least survive with uh, flexibility and some uh, moving into other fields you don't do more work on on uh, online now so are there any other ways you've used to cope with the covid restrictions because it's not covid that's wrecking this country right now it's covid restrictions from the government and they seem very capricious so how do you plan for something you know as a small business owner yeah, well, like I said, you, and you just mentioned, you can't plan for it because it's, uh, you know, you mentioned in Melbourne with the lockdown that it gets announced. It's it's so sudden, and I and I get that. Like, if you are going to do a lockdown, okay, um, there's no point giving people a week heads up because everyone can can move all over the place. Um, but they're just, I think, there needs to be some middle ground. Businesses need some sort of help because you can't plan as a business, as a business that wants to start or expand or even just operate with staff and and restaurant businesses ordering in food for the weekend and then Friday afternoon comes and they just find out that they can't open on uh, on the weekend and, and there's stories of, you know, $20,000, $30,000 of, of food going to waste up here. So I myself, like I, I had to put a hold on, um, trying to expand, we tried. It was it was too hard based on the on the clients and and the restrictions coming and going and not knowing how many people we could have there. So yeah, we had to lost a bit of money on that and we've had to had to stop stop that and try and start it up again when things are a bit more stable. Well, you know, we humans, as I said a little while ago, uh, we're gregarious and we have to socialise. It's very important to most of us. Um, so that that persistent externally imposed social isolation tears at the fabric of what makes us human, as, as I said a little while ago. But an adult brain can work hard at rationalising the incursions into our social life, work hard on, on rationalising the, the loss of freedom and the isolation. But sometimes it's even too much for adults. Have, have you noticed that amongst your clients? Any Anything direct or indirect? Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, like I've... Uh had to had to help and be a part of um, some really dark points in in some people's lives, particularly down south. Uh, you know where there was there was a, an attempt at taking their life. Um, someone that I was training online. Um, thankfully, that didn't didn't happen, uh, but it, it did result in hospitalisation. I've also, you know, I get reached out a lot. Being a parent myself with a young boy, I get multiple messages daily from from parents. Again, um, heartbreaking stories about about them or, or their kids. You know, kids under ten talking about 
self-harming and, and life's not worth oh. living and, and things like that. It's uh, it's not easy to, to even deal with. So, I, yeah, I can't imagine what it would be like to, to live in, in Victoria and New South Wales at the moment in the current climate. So, so you're very passionate about how children have fared during these lockdowns. What have been your main concerns, apart obviously from, from um, what you've just said? Yeah. I just think, yeah, touching on what you've, you've said about the interaction, the social aspect and how important it is for humans, it's, it's even more crucial, I guess some could argue, to children who are too young to comprehend why they suddenly can't go to school. Again, I'll use Melbourne because I'm originally from Melbourne. I only moved up here a few years ago. 210 days and counting. Um, a lot of my friends are still there with children there that are no longer going to school. They're too young to comprehend why they can't go to school. They can't see friends and family. Um, they can't go to playgrounds now. Uh, and, yeah, it's, it's just that comprehension. How do you tell a, a toddler, a four-, five-, six-year-old, that they can't play at a playground now. They can't go outside to do that. Um, and if they do, like in New South Wales' case, they've got helicopters flying over their head telling them to go back inside. Uh, it's, and, and that's a, it's a major contributing factor to the stats that you listed at the, at the start of this chat with people getting rushed to hospital or children getting rushed to hospital. The, the suicide numbers as a whole, um, I think since March, is a thousand plus so four or five months we've got a thousand at the minimum that's been reported people that have taken their life uh which far exceeds death rates of of other things at the moment uh so yeah it's i think not enough's being done there's a lot of talk from from governments about how crucial it is but then it's just the hypocrisy of it all um that contradicts everything that they they say and and it just shows that it's it's not relevant to them and, and that's really important because we need to have confidence in our government, governments, our parliaments. But at the moment, I'm perceiving people have really just lost confidence completely in governments. They don't know what governments are doing. Governments can't explain why the logic behind it, the science behind it, the data behind it, because there isn't any. There's, there's, no, there's obviously no plan at all because it's, it's just so inconsistent, so contradictory. It's contradictory within each state, between the states, between the states and the federals. Um, so their parents, so kids' parents, are, are confused and they're, they're questioning a lot of things. But at the moment, they're not. Um, what's the word? They're they're just confused. That they're not angry yet. Yeah, and and the the concern is, and and the growing sentiment of you know the community that I deal with. I, I get to interact with quite a few people on a daily basis, given work, um, both locally and internationally, Australia has become a laughing stock. I'm sure you've probably seen some of the news reports yes. from out of the States, um, out of Europe. I've got family in, in Sweden. Uh, they actually ran a story on Melbourne, Victoria today over there, um, which doesn't paint a good picture of Australia, I can, I can tell you that. Um, so we're really getting our international reputation damaged severely, um, close to the point of I'm not sure how it's going to be repaired quite frankly. Um, and then, yeah, the community sentiment, uh, you said, yeah, not anger yet, but it's, uh, it's very close, I think, um, which is, which is a, a dangerous situation as well. When the public starts to lose faith in, in the police system, 
They start to lose faith in, in the government. They don't trust anyone. They don't trust the media. They don't trust the government. They don't trust the police. And, I mean, that's not something that you want to have in, in a country as great as what Australia was prior to 2020. Let's come back to some of those things. I, I know you, in a minute, I know you're passionate about about children and how they fared during the lockdowns. Um, children's brains are very vulnerable and underdeveloped. We know that uh, from Maria Montessori's work that children go through planes of development. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the first three years, they, they actually have a lot of things going on physically in their brains and in their bodies. And then the next three years from three to six, they start using them or embedding them, if you like, in their habits and, and their way of life. Of and then six, six to nine, they start changing again in other ways. And nine to 12, they start embedding that. And then 12 to 15, they start getting gangly and outgrowing their, their bodies. And, and, uh, and then they start growing into that from 15 to 18. Um, so these stages, they need physical movement. And they need good nutrition and they need sunlight and, and, uh, and they need fresh air. So we're locking people up. It's just we're, we're dealing with battery humans. Yeah, well, it's the, you know, from three to six, um, listening to some experts in the field talk recently, um, which the media has decided to cover um, maybe 18 months too late, but they uh you know that it's crucial to to the development is the stimulation that that's where they they're learning social skills um they're learning motor skills from from playing they they're growing um their brains developing as you mentioned and all of that is getting hindered um in my opinion they're getting fear imprinted in their mind fear of socializing because they're told they can't see family, they can't hug people, they can't touch people, they can't go into a... I went into a shop the other day and the shopkeeper got angry at me because my four-year-old was looking at some toys on the shelf and picked one up and he told him not to touch it. What? Um, Yeah. Uh, So they're getting imprinted. Fear is imprinted that they can't even breathe the fresh air, you know, when, when they're... When you're seeing everyone with their with masks on and stuff, and I and I, I'm not saying I'm anti-mask or anything, but there has to be some. I don't know what it is, but I know that you know from my son and, and people that I know of that with children, young children, they're getting very uncomfortable, not being able to see people, getting told off for touching things, um, and and being brought up fearing hugging people showing affection, getting too close to people, I guess. We don't even have to talk about physical contact. We can talk about distance now. Um, so what are, you know, how is that shaping them for later in their life? How are they going to, what's that going to do to them as a productive member of society is, is a concern that, I, you know, I think more people need to start speaking up about as well. Yeah, that's a really important point you mentioned. You know, I hadn't thought about it as, as much as, as I've done a lot of reading and, and, and work on the, some of these areas. I hadn't really thought about it till you just mentioned it. Um, but, you know, cats, dogs, horses, especially horses, uh, the higher order mammals, they can read human faces. They can, they can see what our emotions are from our faces. Yeah. Um, now, that's essential for interaction. That's essential for kids growing up to be able to read those faces. How can you read those faces with a mask covering you? Of course, and I'll I'll just jump in if I can. I've actually got a a, a couple of friends um, that work in uh, daycares, kindergartens, so dealing with, 
you know, six-month-year-olds up to about five. Um, and in Queensland, as you're aware, you know, the mask restrictions have been on now, which keep getting extended. Um, and then a couple of weeks ago got extended to early learning, early education teachers of the daycares and the kindergartens. And um, just speaking to them, you've got young children who, as you said, the same as an- animals, to a degree, lip read um, or, or read off facial expressions, and they were noticing a big increase in it and a challenge to communicate with the young kids um, purely because they can't see their face. You know, the, the facial expression shows so much. It can show whether you're angry or you're, you're sad or you're happy, and you've got these one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old kids um, just getting completely perplexed with, with trying to learn from their teacher when they can't see their face. And, and is there anything better, apart from getting a hug yourself, is there anything better than um, grandma or granddad hugging their grandchild? And the kids look forward to it so much, and they're not allowed to. I mean, that is just insane. It's inhuman. Yeah, well, exactly right. And again, you've got to, you've got to wonder what that is doing to them later on in life um, psychologically. I'm not an expert in in child psychology, but I can imagine that, you know, if this is this stage where they're developing um, and you're teaching young kids early on in their development to fear people, fear getting too close to people, let alone touch them, that that down the track, our future generation, the people that are going to be running this country, um, is going to cause some real concerns, I would think. And it's, it's well known, Matt, that people learn best when they're not afraid, when they don't have fear. And, and having fear around them impedes their learning. Well, yeah, ex- exactly right. I mean, everywhere you look, you turn on the TV today. I was in the car um, with the family earlier this morning and we couldn't find a radio channel that wasn't talking and drumming up fear and i think we tried 15 channels in a row um that's and that's right. and that's not an exaggeration we had to plug in the phone and play music through the phone because my son wanted to listen to music so we were surfing the radio i think 15 stations straight um was only talking about the current situation and and that's something that we try and keep away from him personally um good and and not let him get too involved with well this morning I was coming in and uh, I left about 20 past five and at 5.30, the, um, the 5.30 segment started and Neil Bream was on 4BC and I've, uh, I've got to thank him for and commend him for what he did. He just talked about the state of fear and how much damage it was doing and he called out the Premier, uh, Anastasia Palaszczuk, for, for deliberately spreading fear and I, this is not a political broadcast but that kind of fear is being drummed up by politicians and the media, as you, as you were saying, and, and it affects kids. And, and then she was saying something about, he, he quoted her saying that uh, we'll, we'll open up, or she, we won't open up the state because it'll be so damaging to the kids. She's afraid of the kids. She was bringing in emotion. And then, then he talked about two pediatricians, well-known, well-respected pediatricians, who said this is nonsense because the kids under 12 have got very, virtually no chance of getting sick from COVID. That's yeah. statistically proven. Yeah. And so now they're talking about jamming vaccines in kids. I think that's when they might start getting trouble from parents. Yeah, I, I, I've gradually seen that um, movement or 
you know, growing sentiment. You've got parents that are, that are in no means anti-vax or anything. Um, they'll take, they'll happily take it. But I think when you start pushing something onto kids and, and trying to speak for the parents and give the parents no choice over what happens to their young children, um, I'm thinking it could be their downfall, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so what is it about children that inspires your stance and your work, Matt? Well, I just think it's – they don't have a voice at the minute publicly. Um, I've got a – yeah, I'm a father to a four-year-old, um, which is obviously – it changes your perspective when you become a parent. Uh, I can 100% say that, uh, you know, my view on the world and life and, and how I handle myself has changed dramatically since uh, – pre having my son to, to having my son here. I just think, you know, at the end of the day, they're the next generation of leaders and, and everyday people of this country. Um, and they need to be taken care of. In my opinion, now they're the most vulnerable. Um, we've, we've protected the elderly who were referred to as the most vulnerable. Um, I think now we've, we've seemingly got that under control. Uh, and I think now, it needs to pivot to, to who is currently the most vulnerable. And that is, without a doubt, that has to be young kids um, and children in general who are, you know, you've got, you've got people forcing things on, on 16-year-olds when they're not allowed to buy alcohol, they're not allowed to smoke, they can't drive, um, they can't vote, but they can make decisions without their parents about other, other aspects of their life, it just seems totally contradictive. Um, so yeah, I think they need they need to have someone with a voice, more pe- well, multiple people stand up and look after them because they, at the end of the day, the the country is is going to be in their hands in the next you know decade or two. Right. So let me interpret some of the things you just said because I, the word that keeps coming up is a four letter word starting with C: care. Yeah, and and that's what comes through in what you just said. Uh, what inspires your work and your stance with kids? And and you said they're they're vulnerable. Uh, they're going to be the next generation. You care, and and let's face it, you're big and healthy and strong now. Mm. But when you first were born, for the first two years, if someone didn't care for you, you would have been dead. Yeah. I mean, the humans, you know, all other animals, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I can't think of another animal no, that, stays that up doesn't there. pop out and yeah. just start running. Start, start. It might be awkward at first, but within a few minutes, a young colt, is, is, uh, a foal, is, is running quite, quite well, a, run, a young yeah. sheep, a young dog. They're all running around within, within minutes. Yeah. But a human can't walk for what? Um, a year. 12 months, 15 yeah. months. Yeah. yeah. And, and, so, and they can't talk. They can't communicate effectively. So what that shows me is that humans really care. Yeah. And, and so what, what we've got at the moment is I think a lot of politicians tugging into that and saying that, you know, but they spread fear to then drive an emotional response and drive submission and get control. Is there any merit in what I've just said? Oh, I 100% agree, yeah. There's, um, I think I read something yesterday in Victoria that, a quote from uh, either the chief health officer or the premier down there that was basically saying that playgrounds were shut down there because adults weren't complying. So 
indirectly, I think anyone would read that they were punishing the kids to get to the adults. Yep. Um, which is, again, not a scientist, but I don't think that's a, that's a scientific fact of, uh, of protecting everyone's health at the minute by punishing the most vulnerable to teach uh, adults a lesson. I'm not sure where that comes in on, on any data to, to protect the community rather than just punishing people. Yep. So in Senate estimates, which is where we senators can get into a room and hold bureaucrats accountable and ministers accountable, in March and May I checked some strategies because there's clearly no plan at a national level or a state level. It's just at state level, it's just lockdown, capricious lockdowns. We won't even give you notice, just lockdown. One, one case and people in, in Brisbane or three cases in Brisbane in January, and you'll wear masks at Bamiga, 2,700 kilometres away. Absolutely crazy stuff. And it's costing money and it's costing lives. You, you know, we talked about that. Um, so that's all the state governments are using. And the federal government's just saying vaccine, 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 vaccine. And then if you dare question the vaccine, and there's a lot of reason for questioning it, then you're labelled an anti-vaxxer. Now, when people label, it's usually because they don't have an argument. So what I'm trying to show is that there's a mishmash of of just nonsense and false statements and fear, uh, pretty lethal cocktail, as you've told us about, with kids. Now, I mentioned seven strategies, and I said to them at the end of the seven strategies, are those strategies appropriate for a virus management plan? And they said, yes. And I said, have I missed any? No, you haven't. Are there any among my seven that shouldn't be there? And they said, no. Mm-hmm. But we don't see these. So let's, let's check what you've seen based upon your, your expertise in health and fitness and also your common sense and also as a, as a um, citizen. So the first one is health and fitness. We know that, that people who are fit and healthy have a much higher survival rate with this, with this virus. Um, some of them don't even feel it. Yeah. So health and fitness. Have you heard anything from the government on health and fitness? Only uh, relating to banning it. What yeah. do you mean? Well, they're closing gyms, they're closing outdoor gyms, they're limiting exercise time, uh, they're, they're closing playgrounds, which is children's fitness and exercise. Yes. So, I mean, in my opinion, it sounds like they're uh, doing the complete opposite rather than encouraging health and fitness. Right, and, and vitamin D is important for this virus apparently. Uh, fresh air is always important. But yeah. all of these things together, just being out in nature, being with trees, being in the sun um, for you know for a limited uh, amount of time in Queensland, but at least being out in the sun, the fresh air, it builds your immune system and you get your feet, uh, your toes digging in the dirt, yeah. uh, mixing it, rolling in the grass. All of these things build immunity, which builds a resilience for the against the virus, which builds your health and fitness. Yeah, exactly right. Vitamin D is a big one. Um, you know, it's it's from fact and data. People that are that are getting or suffering greater illness from um, COVID seem to be highly deficient in vitamin D, um, which can be boosted, as you said, by sunlight. Um, and they're uh, yeah, so it's, you know, to encourage people to not leave their house and stay inside, again, seems to contradict the, the correct data about uh, what can be done to, you know, minimise the seriousness of infection once infected and, and 
to some degree, I guess you could say prevent, yeah, prevent serious, serious onset of it. And it is serious. So like people do need to take it serious. People, people are dying mm. tragically. Um, but I just think there's, there hasn't been any messaging about what we should do. There's plenty of what we shouldn't do. Um, I haven't once heard a chief health officer get up there and, and talk about the things that we've just talked about, about exercise, about, you know, foods. I've seen plenty of government ads telling you to, you know, stay inside, take certain drugs. Um, it'd be great if they spent taxpayer money talking about eating whole foods and, and fresh food, fruit and vegetables from your from your local farmers markets and at the same time you're supporting local business, but you're also giving your body the best shot at um, dealing with any illnesses that come your way. And so many illnesses are brought on from uh, are directly related, correlated to your diet, whether that's, you know, sugar or heavy saturated fats and, and things like that, just uh, cancer-causing foods, you know, that, that's all proven. Um, and not once has one of these health officers, if you can call them that, has uh, gotten on the TV or, or put any messages about about any of that. And that's really disappointing, I think, from someone that knows the fundamental basic health facts of, of what exercise and good food does to your body. Very well said. What about um, another, another side effect of all of this? When they ignore the thing, health and fitness, that people can take responsibility for and tell us, keep bashing us with all the things that we must do, like you said, or can't do, can't do um, then it destroys responsibility, individual responsibility, doesn't it? Yeah, and there's there's different um, countries around the world. I've got a close affiliation with Sweden, with family there, um, who have completely handled the situation over there in a different way. Um, I don't know a single person who has lost their job over there who has uh, really struggled mentally. Um, they're back at 100%, they're all travelling around Europe. It's, no one even even mentions it. There's no nightly case case numbers getting thrown at you on the, on the news. Um, it's just completely different how countries are handling it and, and, and moving on. And we have seen or I've seen some talk about, you know, learning to live with it, um, but no action, I guess, um, and just different hearsay from different premiers, as you said, and and different politicians federally that are, all seem to say one thing and, and then do the other or nothing changes at all. Yes, and, and what about another factor that I can see in health when you look at health holistically, and that is the 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 media has just been t- turned into a propaganda outfit. Uh, even Sky News now is just pushing vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. Yeah. Um, 2GB in Sydney is doing the same. Um, so what we've got now is not only propaganda, but we've got a complete distrust of the media. And the media should be there to protect us in, in a way by alerting us to certain things, but it doesn't do that anymore. So the media is, is preaching to us, instructing us, but not guarding us and, and not keeping us alert uh, politicians are the same. They want to keep us suppressed somehow. So you've got that erosion of responsibility, that erosion of independence, um, and that breeds dependence, doesn't it, which breeds subservience and in turn escalates any fear. Yeah, again, um, 
with my dealings with people from all over the world, clients I've got, you know, ev- everywhere that you can imagine, um, and we chat because I've become quite close with them, um, and they get seen, not some countries see more than others, but they get seen snippets of our news, um, and they send me snippets of our news and say, is this for real? Is this is this what's happening on your media? Is this what's really happening in, in your country? Like the army on the streets in Sydney and things like that and the news stories showing people getting arrested with their kids for walking in a park without a mask on and getting slammed to the ground. Like, as I said, relating back to what it's doing to Australia's image internationally, uh, it's, it's very concerning. But also, yeah, as you said, the media... I haven't spoken to a person that says that they watch the news anymore. Um, I don't know anyone. Uh, that's that's all but gone, and, and the trust that they're losing in the grassroots communities, everyday people, is uh, is is falling rapidly. Thank you for raising that. Uh, I hadn't thought about that, but trust is fundamental to human life. Yeah. We have to trust in in the rest of the people in our tribe or in our community, in our family. And when, when trust is broken, um, and, you know, and that's why there's such a, a lot of uncertainty about the vaccines and a lot of distrust because governments have contradicted themselves or, or even said stupid things. Uh, and, and one government has gone against another government and sometimes one government official has contradicted what they've said just earlier. Yeah. When, when, this vaccine, when the virus first hit, on masks, there weren't any masks around. No, masks are nothing. That, you, know, you don't need a mask. No, not at all. When they're masked around and they start using them as a, um, a control symbol or a conditioning tool, mm. oh, you must wear your mask or we're going to throw you in jail. You know, I mean, yeah. hang on, what did you tell us just a few months ago? Yeah, and that's exactly right. So that, Again, using, using Sweden as an example, their health minister has constantly stood up and said um, throughout his whole time, very recently as well, about masks for healthy people, people that don't have symptoms, are doing more harm than good. With, uh, with their breathing, with, um, you know, obviously excreting air, you're, it, is, it is waste. Otherwise, you wouldn't breathe it out. Um, so theoretically, you're breathing in waste and wearing them for a pro- prolonged period of time is harmful. And there's studies showing that. And um, you've got other countries' health ministers saying that. You had our health ministers say that. Um, and then to backflip on that, as you mentioned as well, and I think that's where the – I'm not saying they do or don't work. It's not – I'm not a medical expert. I'm just saying from your average Joe as a member of the community that there hasn't been a clear message and that is where you get the distrust of people in, in – of law enforcement, of the, of the rule makers, I guess you'd call them, because the messages are so mixed um, – and just everyday people don't know what to think. You know, you told us two months ago that we don't need to wear it because it doesn't do anything. Um, if you're healthy, you know, our Queensland health minister has, has said that. I believe she's, she got up and on a press conference and said, you know, if, if you're uncomfortable with wearing one, you don't need to show a doctor's certificate. You don't need to explain yourself because you know individually. But then a month later, they're arresting people or handing out fines. Um, and people are saying they've got medicals, uh, and they're still getting fines. Um, so that's where the distrust comes from. It's just so many mixed messages, and, and 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 it's not changing. And the trust is 
vastly diminishing. Right, and just on the health minister, Yvette Dath, uh, she mentioned um, when Brisbane had a lockdown and they had to use masks, uh, we had to use masks, Someone, one of the press reporters said at a media conference, Minister, um, what about drivers alone in their car? Do they need to wear a mask? And you could see the puzzled look on her face, her eyes circling and looking up upwards and thinking, oh, what do I say here? And she said, yes. You know, there was clearly no advice given to her on that. It was just a capricious yes on the moment. So, Matt, I'm going to have to say goodbye because I'm going to have to get back into the um, Senate. I'm on, on remote parliament at the moment, but I have to give a speech in, in a few minutes. So um, I want to thank you very much, uh, not only for, for appearing on our, on our show, but also for the, what you're doing for the community. It's, it's absolutely essential. It's fundamental. And I admire your, um, your love of children, your passion for children and for, for developing the future of our country. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Malcolm. Ben, pleasure speaking to you. Our children are perhaps the victims of the greatest deprivations, deprivation of liberty, deprivation of education and normal development, deprivation of swings, slippery sides and rides on the bike, swims at the beach and local sport, deprivation of crucial friendship supports and separated parents. It's a matter of extreme urgency that children be allowed to return to the anchors that sustain them. Mental health professionals around the country are campaigning for the mental health needs of our children and it's overdue that we hear their voices. So many businesses have gone beyond the point of return. So many employees are faced with gut-wrenching decisions around their freedoms and the removal of informed consent on vaccination. The Australian people have been cornered and are now being squeezed into complying with demands that strip them of their right to make choices for their health, their families and their livelihoods. It's entirely reasonable that many of us feel lost for words and lost for direction. We can't believe what we're seeing and doing. There is hope. Public sentiment is turning. More and more people are demanding that we get back to work and get our kids back to school. Increasing numbers of people are far more worried about their work and livelihoods than about catching COVID. Australia, we need to get moving again. Thank you for joining me, Senator Malcolm Roberts, on Our Nation Today. Today.